Welcome to the Lancet Podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, May the 2nd. In this week's podcast, genes for osteoporosis, our main feature. But before that, some headlines from the issue of the Lancet dated May the 3rd to the 9th. More than a quarter of Americans report feeling pain at any moment in time. And those with low incomes and the least education are most at risk of spending a lot of time in pain, conclude authors of a research article. Also in research... Four out of five blood pressure-related deaths occur in developing countries. Another research article assesses the global burden of disease relating to hypertension or high blood pressure. Most of the burden of disease is borne by people in low- and middle-income countries, by people in middle age, and, interestingly, people who tend to experience lesser degrees of high blood pressure. If prevention and treatment strategies are restricted to high-income countries only, many blood pressure-related diseases will be missed, conclude authors of this research article. Now, is it time to strengthen public confidence at the IARC, the International Agency of Research on Cancer? Well, yes it is, according to an editorial in this week's issue, which discusses the issues surrounding the upcoming election of the new head at IARC. And a related Lancet Oncology article details seven possible candidates who could be in a position to succeed Peter Boyle at IARC. A seminar takes a look at peanut allergy. Immunotherapy for peanut allergy, a growing public health problem, could be available in five years' time. Another seminar assesses idiopathic adolescent scoliosis. And look out for a world report which highlights how Ethiopia is stepping up its battle against a major public health concern in that country, obstetric fistula. But back to the main feature this week, a genetic association study to explore a genetic route for osteoporosis. Earlier in the week, I spoke to Professor Tim Spector, one of the authors of the study. Before we just discuss the current study, up until now, what have we known about the genetic roots of osteoporosis? When we first started our twin study, this is one of the first things we looked at about 15 years ago. And we discovered that about 80% of the main risk factor for osteoporosis, that is bone density, is controlled by genes. So quite early on, we realized this is a very heritable uh, disease. More recently, we've gone on to look at whether fractures themselves are due to genes or mainly due to environment. About 50 to 60% of the differences between people in fractures are due to their genes as well. So it looks like genes are the predominant uh, risk factor for osteoporosis, in addition to uh, obvious ones like age, um, early menopause, uh, being thin, smoking and taking steroids. And this is a genome-wide association study. Can you just explain what the principles of a genome-wide study are? Basically we take somewhere between a third of a million and half a million genetic markers scattered over the genome and these markers are designed so that they will, if you like, tag all of our 25,000 genes. So across each gene are a number of these little markers such that without knowing in advance what we're looking for, we can tag most of the variation in our genes. We do that for all these subjects in all the DNA. So each, each of them has a third of a million markers and we then correlate their bone density levels to these markers or we correlate who has a fracture and who doesn't have fracture. These differences between them, which are often quite subtle because of the large numbers, are then teased out by statistics and by replicating the results several times in different populations until you've got a result that is so strong it couldn't happen by chance. Did you have any idea what you were looking for or did you literally have to start with a blank sheet of paper and run the sequence across the whole genetic spectrum? 
that was in fact the idea was to try and uh, not have any uh, prior uh, ideas or biases and just go in with a, a, a fresh look or a blank sheet of paper covering every gene and just see what came out and this is usually a way that we find out what the most important things are because if you just go on your your previous hunches you often just you will bias yourself to just um, try and discover that particular mechanism and ignore other ones that might be more novel. And in terms of the current study methodology, we're looking at a white European population and obviously you initially looked at female twin pairs, didn't you? They were the discovery sample, yes. And it is a disease that mainly affects uh, white uh, Europeans, females, although one in six men also get it, but it, it affects one in three women. In terms of numbers, how did you go about doing the current study? Well, we started with... Um, just over 2,000 of our UK twins as the discovery set, and all of those had their DNA investigated, and all of them had bone density measures. And they were our discovery sample. From those 300,000 genetic hits, we took the, the top ones, that, the most interesting that came out of those, and then replicated those in other data sets. And we used the Dutch group from Rotterdam as our first replication. They had about 1,600 women, those that then replicated in both of those, we tested in another 5,000. From our other cohorts we had, we have one in Chingford, which is in North London, and some other twins that we hadn't put into the main project, and finally some others of the Rotterdam group that weren't also in that other stage. So we ended up studying 8,500 um, individuals, and this gave us results both for bone density and also more importantly, to check that these were important in fracture. So did you actually, by comparison, have a population of people who had osteoporosis or osteoporotic fracture for whom you could then assess their genetic characteristics and then map it back? That's right. Within the Rotterdam group and within this uh, group in, in Chingford in North London, there were people that we, we knew definitely had fractures. And so we could compare the people with fractures and, and without fractures to see whether the same genes that were important in bone density were also important in the clinical endpoint of fracture. Two genes on two different chromosomes are implicated by the study. Can you just elaborate on the results? The two genes that came top um, and replicated in all the uh, in all the cohorts were the osteoprotegerin gene and the the other one called LRP5. They were on different chromosomes, but had similar effects. They increased risk by around 30 or 40 percent if you had that risk allele. One of them was quite common, the osteoprotegerin gene had a frequency of 53%, and the LRP5 gene had a, a risk frequency of 14%. When we put them together, if you had a, either one of those as your, 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 your risk, that occurred in, in, when you had both of them together, it was 22% of the um, population. And that, that conferred quite a strong risk of both getting osteoporosis and of fractures. So 22% of this white European population that you studied, 22% have a chance of carrying both those genes. That's correct. So that's a one in five chance. And if you are one of those five people, what is your overall risk of getting osteoporosis? It was increased by 30%. Increased by a third among yeah. the one in five at risk of carrying the genes in the first place. That may not sound much, but because it's such a common disease affecting you know, one in three women, that makes quite a big difference in terms of numbers and uh, probabilities. It increased your risk of having a fracture by a third and of having low bone density by 50%. Sure, because obviously you can 
have lower bone density without having a fracture? The link isn't always, you know, we, we haven't followed people long enough to make sure they don't always have fractures. So it's always harder to do those studies in the fracture cases because some people will live to 90 and just have their fracture, you know, when they're 89. What do you think the implications are? I mean, you've already touched on this. Some longer follow-up is required and obviously replication studies of this kind. But do you think, just from this study, do you think there are implications for screening? I think there are because the clinical side to this is, is moving very rapidly towards a risk prediction score that determines whether someone needs treatment or not. And what we're doing is with, with uh, six risk factors clinically, uh, you add them up and if you have a, a likelihood of having a chance of fracture in the next 10 years that's greater than, say, 15%, then you're being advocated as you needing treatment. What sort of treatment could we be looking at for people who are at high risk? Well, there's, there's, there's about four or five different groups of drugs which you can use. Bisphosphonates are the, the commonest used. You can also use parathyroid hormone, strontium ranulate, in addition to calcium and vitamin D. There's also the traditional estrogens and selective estrogen receptor modulators. So there's a whole range of drugs available. Whether you can treat it is not really in doubt. It's, it's really a question of who you should treat and who's likely to fracture in the next 10 years that merits taking regular medication. We already know that family history is an important uh, risk factor. But many people don't know their family history or their parents died young. These sort of tests would enable much more people to actually uh, fully understand their genetic risk, which we know is one of the most important factors. It's as important as um, knowing whether someone's ever taken corticosteroids, which we know is a very major risk factor. Suddenly we've got a, an example of a couple of genes which you could put into a, a diagnostic test fairly cheaply, uh, measure any time in life, enable you to do much, get a much pr better prediction about your likelihood of fracture. As we do more of these studies, and perhaps the next studies will be 20,000, 30,000 people, we'll tease out a few more genes which will, will allow us even better prediction. Professor Spector on the line, thank you very much indeed for talking to The Lancet. Pleasure. Professor Tim Spector from King's College London concluding this week's podcast. Many thanks for listening. See you next week.